you know, and I think that it's, man, <clears throat> I mean, we have seen so much here. And, and you know, it kind of, to some extent, it kind of makes you wonder. It's kind of like, you know, you would think that that people, like, would be drawn to hear that stuff. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, okay. You know, well, I mean, we've seen, <laughs> you know, we've seen, uh, we can't tell how many, you know, signs and wonders and miracles. Um, and yet, uh, hang on a minute, I'm trying to get this thing going here. Okay. Yeah. I went from being I having a ten point four A one C um having to have shots, eyes going bad, not gonna be able to see nothing. Of course we all know my eyes have already been healed and everything. Well, I'm no longer diabetic. Mm -hmm. My A one C is down to a six point four and keeps dropping and that is the real diabetic level. Praise God. That is good. Yeah. You know God can do all of these things. Right, but on the flip side of that, you know, we need to be telling people about that, not to get people here, listen, or whatever else. I mean, people that are going to come, they're going to come, and the people that don't, don't, and whatever else. But, you know, the thing about it is, is that people need to know that he is still who he says he is. Go to Acts chapter 4 real quick. Let me show you all something. I didn't plan on going here, but I, I like to be Holy Ghost hijacked, so... Holy Ghost hijacked. Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading at verse 32. All right, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any, any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had, they had all things in common. Now look what verse 30, 33 says right here. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They hand, did they hand them a track? No. Did they expect the people to believe without some type of demonstration? So when we go and we tell this story, we say, you know what? The Lord was with Tracy's mom and the Lord did this and it's because of his resurrection, because of his death, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection that these things are possible, that the impossible is made possible to the one who will believe. So, I mean, we, this is the reason, you know, that we give, we give an account all the time of the things that we're seeing the Lord do here in our midst. Because think about this. This is evidence, ladies and gentlemen, of Jesus' resurrection. We're not, why are we asking people to believe a gospel without evidence? You realize this is not evidence to the unbeliever, right? This ain't even evidence to probably nine out of ten Christian people because most, you know. So if, why do we expect an unbeliever to believe the word of a God that they don't know? Think about that. I'll tell you what, bless God, when he raised Cheyenne from the dead, well, he got my attention. A demonstration of power. Demonstration of his power. And in the demonstration is we always give witness to his resurrection. 
So we don't say, brother, you know, oh, thank God for brother such and such or, or what, such and such or whatever else. No, no, no. Now, it's, it's because of Christ. It's because of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And it's in this, right, that we begin to get people believing, you know. Um, and people are not going to want to believe. There are going to be some people that ain't going to want to believe, right? There are going to be some people that when you go to talking about the things that you've seen the Lord do or the things that the Lord has done for you personally, it don't make no difference how much you glorify Him. They're going to think that, they're, that you're trying to get all the attention on you. I've had it happen. I couldn't tell you how many times people have turned on me and said, well, you know, you're trying to make it look like you. you no one has ever heard me say anything about it being anything about me. It's always about Him. And the more you make it about Him, the more people are going to dislike you, especially Christian people. You know, it's interesting. I was, telling, I was talking to my buddy Dave Bowman the other day. I said, you know what, David? I said, I have not ever personally been done wrong by a sinner. But now I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of people that was Christians that, I mean, would just knife you right through the heart and not think anything about it. But, so, but we use these things as a demonstration, as demonstrations of power and a witness to his resurrection. Right, Tracy's mom. There was there was that was a bleak report, I, even with surgery. I mean, there wasn't, you know, there was not really any hope. You know, well maybe we'll see some shadows or shapes or whatever else. Well, I mean, but now here, mom's driving. <laughs> you know, I mean, bless God. Two weeks ago, you you know, it was a bad it was a bad situation. I mean, think about that. You know, two weeks ago when we came together to praying about the situation, you know, I mean, it was a very, very bleak report. Uh, to, to today, you know, I mean, your mom can drive during the day. And how old is your mom? Seventy. Seventy. Hallelujah. Man, praise God. God's so good. I tell you what, I'm still having trouble. I'm having trouble coming back down off that worship right there. I, I, I'm having trouble getting my thoughts gathered around here to come back. I was afraid I was going to get out there so far and just go on. I was talking to my spiritual father, Robin Ricks, last night. I told him, I said, uh, I said, you know, I'm not opposed to beating you out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Robin's in his sixties. He said, "If I got to preach your funeral, he said I'm going to get up there and I'm going to tell everybody that you're the most selfish, self-centered, thoughtless person I ever met in my life." Said you done got out of here, out of here ahead of the, all of us, and and didn't even and left everything you didn't want, including your body. I said, yeah. I said, that's right, that's right. You done, praise God. I tell you what, I get, whew. It's kind of hard for me to come back down, really, if you want to know the truth. I heard one man say it like this. I think it was Mark Hankins. He said, there ain't no high like the most high. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. Praise God. I think we're live. Does anybody care to check? I, I, anybody care to check and see if we are live and if we've got uh, audio and all that good stuff? This is a new camera. So if this little camera works out good, um, we'll go and... We're, I'm gonna order one this week, and we'll be streaming with this from here on. So, good. 
So a couple cool things. Let me give you a couple cool announcements. Um, so the uh, does everybody know about the book? Have I talked to anybody? Have I talked to everybody about the book? Some have, some haven't, right? And I don't even know that I've give you all all the details. But so the works of Jesus was received by a publisher, and in not long, in just probably a couple months, it will be available in print um, at bookstores. We're gonna I'm gonna order several copies, and 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 we'll they'll mean we'll sell them. Um, it will be available digitally to the ends of the earth. It will be available digitally in Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iBooks, Kindle, and a handful of other online digital retailers. So think about that. How cool is that? That thing is going to the end of the earth. So you know why we why is that so important? Well, you know, that study came out of everything that happened with Abigail. You know, where is this Jesus, the healer? And the thing is, is that if people get a hold of that scripture and they see that it's just the scriptures, there's no doctrine, there's no teaching, there's no, there's no nothing in it. It's just the scriptures. Jesus' ministry, the works that he worked, right? If someone gets a hold of that and believes that the Lord is who he says he is, and he never changes. Hallelujah. Man, could you imagine how that can change people, how radically that can change people's lives? I mean, you know, we think about it from this perspective. I mean, we've the miracles and the signs and the wonders that we've just seen here, what if someone in China gets a hold of that? Think about that. That's amazing to me. So that's a that's something really cool. Um of course, we are working on the digital platform. I got a meeting set up with those people next week, Subsplash. Um, so it won't be probably over the next couple of weeks, hopefully before Easter. Um, we'll have a website up and running. There will be an app available in the in your app store on your phone, Android and iOS. The ministry, Word of Life Ministries, will have its own app. So that's pretty cool. Um, we'll have we'll begin to have ways for people to give online, um, all kinds of stuff. I would like for you all to pray, um, you know, about uh, you know financial commitment or support of the ministry. I'd like for you all to pray about that and see how the Lord leads you in that because we're trying to press on, right? You know, that I had to sign a two-year contract with that subsplash to get the website and, and everything else, and that's definitely not cheap. So I'd like for you all to pray about that. But we'll have, I'll have more information on ways to give online, so on and so forth, coming up in the next couple of weeks. So, um, man, I kind of want to just go back to worship. You want to know the truth? I don't even, wanna, I don't even particularly want to preach, but I know I've got to. Hallelujah. Um, so this, tonight's message is part three, and I think, we'll, I think that this is the last part. Um, it's interesting, though. I thought it was only going to be one part. Then the Lord said, ah, i got some more stuff I want to say. So. So the, the series is, he's still on the throne, right? That's the, that's the series, right? And so the, uh, the, the perspective behind this is, is that we've, and we've discussed this in weeks gone by, and we don't want to reiterate too much, and we don't want to go back over too much because we've got a bunch of stuff to cover tonight. But 
when someone makes commonly, when someone makes the statement, he's still on the throne, it's kind of like it's just up for, what does that mean? You, you know, what does that mean? Is that, you, you, you know, and you ask people, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, God is sovereign. Okay, well, tell me what that means. You know, a lot of things are lost in people they don't even know what they're talking about. You know, well, he's still on the throne. Okay, well, what, what good is that mindset doing you in your current situation? Right? Because their perspective is, is that, well, ultimately it's just going to be what it's going to be. But Scripture doesn't tell us to pray that way. Right? Scripture doesn't tell us to believe that way. So part one, we described what the throne of God looked like. What's it look like? We described that. We described what the throne of God looks like. We described what the throne room of God looks like. And that was an interesting one. And then part two was come boldly to the throne. And we broke that down. Tonight, this last part, the title of the message is called Come with what is hurting you. And so it was really, really interesting because, I, you know, the Lord... Man, he cares for people. I mean, he cares for people. As a matter of fact, you can't even say that you're serving him if you don't care for people. That you can say whatever you want to. You can you can show up to church 12 times a week and go through the motions and everything else, but you ain't serving him if you ain't caring about people. And that's just the fact. And the hardest part about caring about people is people. Right? The hardest thing to like about people is people. Uh, because, you know, I know some people that I trust the devil more than I trust them. The devil's kind of like, I don't even like, you know, that's just the truth. But we still got to love those people, right? We still got to be like Jesus to those people. And so in that is it is a responsibility for us to help the hurting, to help those who are struggling. Well, how do we help them? Well, we do what we can naturally. You know, if someone needs help naturally, then we do what we can to help them, right? But what happens when someone is struggling with something that there's not a, a natural answer to? People can struggle with stuff that there is no natural answer to. I'm not talking about sickness. I'm not talking about incurable sicknesses. I'm talking about people being severely hurt severely wounded you know there is no medication for that that medical science has tried to develop stuff that will help with that and let me say this is that if you're taking some form of medication to assist with that don't feel bad about that get all the help that you can get naturally while you're working on the spiritual side of things right so we don't want anybody to feel bad you know I, I believe in absolute signs wonders miracles I mean, all of it, but also, too, uh, you know, I'm not going to be one of these people that says, okay, you know what? If you have to have some medicine to help you, you don't have faith. No, that's not, I don't believe that's right either. Some people are really struggling and they need, they need some natural help and they need some supernatural help. And bless God, if we can, you know, not everybody's faith is in the same place. And, you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. When someone has been critically wounded in the heart, it is hard to have faith. 
So, let me say this. If you're dealing with someone that you know has been critically wounded in the heart, don't be a hypocritical moron and just tell them to have more faith. And it'll all be all right. That'll be real popular on Facebook, I'm sure. Let me say that one more time, just so that the people out there in Facebook, when they got something to write, they don't have they they write me some hate mail about it. They'll have it. They'll have a double portion of it. Do not be a hypocritical moron when you have someone that's dealing with some form of heartache or heartbreak or critical. You know, people get critically wounded in the heart, and they get swept through the cracks in the floor at the church. Because we got two other, we got too many other things happening, right? I pulled my team in last week, the guys and the students, and I said I did it individually. I mean, not individually, but I did it with the team, my guys, and then I did it with the students. And I said, I said I want you to know something. I said I want you to know that I care about you as a person. So not as an employee of the University of the Cumberlands or not as a student of the University of the Cumberlands. I said, I want you to know that I care about you as a person. And if you're struggling with something that you need help with, we have a, we have a no condemnation zone right here. We have a no shame zone right here. If you need to come talk, you can come here and you can talk. If we can't help you, we're going to help you get the help that you need, Right? And this is the same way here. You know, we're not looking for any reason to put anybody down. We're not looking for any reason to disqualify anybody. If people need help, we're going to help them. We're not going to look down on them, no matter what it is that they're struggling with. We're going to hang in there with them. But like my, I heard my brother Tibbs say, Damien Tibbs say last year, he said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And a lot of people don't feel like the church that they're attending or the pastor that they're under or whatever else, and it, it care about them. Now, let me say this, is that sometimes that's founded and sometimes that's unfounded, right? A lot of people deal with stuff silently and because they think that no one cares, but they've never even really talked to anybody about what they're going through because they're ashamed to even talk about what they're going through. Well, you know what? Or, I, you know, and I know a lot of people, a lot of pastors that back away from having tough conversations. Well, we ain't going to back down from nothing. We are not going to back down from anything here. There's no question the Lord can't answer. There's no problem the Lord can't solve. And you know what? Maybe sometimes we need to come together and get together and fast and pray and seek the Lord, minister to the Lord, and then we get the answer. But there are a lot of people who are dealing with being critically wounded in their heart. And they don't know how to move forward. They don't know how to move on. They don't know how to have a hope because they, to them they've lost their hope. So I want to talk about that. But I want to go through this just a little bit. And I want to, I want to go back and just talk about Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, as we preface this going into talking about come to the throne with what is hurting you, right? So Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right. So a lot of the English translations are very weak in this verse. So I, here's some things I want you to go, uh, that I want you to understand, right? Is that Hebrews 7.25 says that he ever lives to make, he sits at the right hand of God and that the Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Well, what's that mean? It means he's interceding on our behalf. In, when we're praying, he's interceding for us. Think about that. The Lord Jesus himself intercedes for you. He intercedes for you. What's that mean? It means he steps in the gap and he's, and he's praying for you too when you don't necessarily know how to pray for yourself. Or maybe your faith is weak. See that? It says we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So don't let this fool you, right? The, Greek, the, the word sympathize is translated from the Greek word sympatheo. And listen to what this means. Sympathize kind of means, oh, you know, hey, Regina, I feel really bad for you, you know, what you're going through, blah, blah, blah. But this word really means to have compassion. So the Lord is full of compassion, right? And, and we would understand that, the, that the, this form of compassion means move to the very core of who you are, but also having the ability to help. So move to the very, so the Lord is compassionate. He is full of compassion. So he is moved to the very core of who he is, and he has the ability to help us. He, it, this word can mean to be affected with the same feeling as another. All right? So you go through that long list of whatever it is that you're struggling with, and the Lord Jesus, and, and all the feelings and the emotions and everything else that's attached to that, and the Lord Jesus has been to the furthest extent of what is possible with what you're struggling with. That's why he is able to understand why you are where you're at and why you're having so much trouble. Isn't that something? To feel for, have compassion upon, sympatheo. All right, now weaknesses here. Weaknesses here is not a really good, but you, there's, not a really, there's not a really good rendering of this Greek word. But you have to understand that Greek is far more descriptive than English, right? So one Greek word can have nine different definitions and be all, all over the place as far as opposite of one another, right? So weaknesses here is translated from the Greek word astenea, astenea. All right, now this can mean sickness. There are instances in the New Testament where asthenia here is some form of sickness. It can mean mental feebleness, or it can mean feebleness in body and mind. It can mean lacking strength. It can mean uh, lacking understanding of a thing. The inability to restrain corrupt desires. So when we see this, this word weaknesses could really be, in this instance, really better defined as anything that you could possibly struggle with 
in body or mind. So it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our astenea. It means he, we do not have a high priest that is not touched, moved with, experienced what every single thing that has affected us, and not just us, but every single person that walks the face of the earth. So you think about it like this. Now, the Lord Jesus never condones sin. Don't mistake yourself. Don't mistake what I'm about to say here. The Lord Jesus never condones sin. But the heart that cries out and says, Lord, I need your help. I'm struggling. He says, I understand. I've been where you're at. Here's the way out. See that? So then we understand there that also, too, that the word all, right? So what, what there's... There, in all points, well, what's that mean? All points, every way, every complete, completely and totally, every way that we've been tempted. All right, so think about it like this. Tempted here is translated from the Greek word pirazzo, and <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> most of the time when people hear this word tempted, they're thinking about sin. But you know, pirazzo is not just defined as tempted. It can also mean tested, enticed, disciplined. To test, to examine, or to try to tempt to do evil. So, you know, you ever been under a test? You ever, you ever been under a, a heavy test and you go, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. And the Lord says, hey, I've been where you're at and I understand. This is the way out. Hold on just a little bit longer. Then we would understand that boldly, let us therefore let us come boldly. Boldly here is translated from the Greek word parousia. And I love this because it means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage and assurance. So we said this two weeks ago. You go to the throne of God and he says, hey, I sure am glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. You're welcomed at the throne of the living God. They delight to see you at the throne of God. You are delighted. The right hand of God is the Lord, sitting at the right hand of God is the Lord Jesus on his own throne. We talked about that. The Lord Jesus is glad to see you. Matter of fact, it's a requirement for you to come. They want to see it. They want to hear from you. They're delighted to see it. So you come with cheerful courage and assurance to obtain, translated from the Greek word lambano, to receive what is offered. Well, when you go to the throne of grace with cheerful courage, what are you being, what are you being offered? Well, thank God you're being offered Elias mercy to have compassion upon, show favor toward, or be compassionate toward. That's one thing you're going to get when you go there. Hallelujah. Thank God. And you're going to receive charis, grace, God's divine influence on someone or something, or God's supernatural empowering touch to overcome. So you get a lot when you go to the throne of grace. 
And it's important for you to understand that. And there's no one that's more welcome at the throne than you are. I think a lot of people have trouble with that. The Lord said to me one time a while back, He said, a fruitful prayer life is a representation of someone's relationship with him, not because he's bestowed some form of special favor on someone. It's the fruit of the relationship. But we've got a lot of relationship problems. We've got a lot of idols in our life, don't we? that take too much of our time from him. So what about these things? I want you to think about, what are, you, are you struggling with something? Are you struggling with something that's been hurting you? Because I want to break this thing down and I want to show you some things about how the Lord cares for you. So go to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. And when you get there, yell, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Psalm 147. You ready for this? Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Whew. That's a good way to start out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Exclamation point. Whew. Man, that makes me want to get right back there and worship. Glory to God. Listen to this. For it is good to sing praises to our God. Oh, that's a good thing to know, isn't it? For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Oh, hallelujah. Woo. <laughs> the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together all the outcasts of Israel. Now look at verse 3 here. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is, this is intriguing terminology to me. Why is he focused on healing the brokenhearted? You know, you can look like you got it all together on the outside and, and be critically wounded on the inside. You know, it has been said of me more than once that I lack the uh, <laughs> that I lack the ability to display emotion, which is not true. But a lot of people do get that feeling. They do get that impression from me, and it's because you know why? Because you might think that you want to see your leader weak, but I assure you, you do not. And a lot of people don't understand that. And you know why? If you saw me struggling, you know what the devil would do to you? Well, look at him. Look at everything he does. Look at, you know, look at, look at that. Man, you know, if, if he's struggling, what chance do you have? And that's the facts. 
So a lot of people look like they got it all together on the outside. And they're falling apart at the feet of the Lord in their bathroom when they're by themselves. He heals the brokenhearted. Heals is translated here from Rapha. Now, it's interesting that we become short-sighted in our understanding of the word, and we always think that this word means Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, is our healer. Okay, well, it, it, it does mean that. It can't mean healer, but there's more definitions to this word. So listen to some of these definitions, and let's see if we can expand our understanding. To cure, to heal, physician, repair, make whole. I know that my Pentecostal brethren are not going to want to hear this statement, but there is nothing in Isaiah 53 pertaining to physical healing. When you read the chapter in context, it's not talking about physical healing. We teach on that in the healing series. I'm probably going to get hate mail over that one, but if you read the entirety of the chapter, if really if you read 52, 53, and go into 54, you would understand that it's talking about salvation, right? So heal, here, heal like he heals the brokenhearted. What, what if you took the definition, makes, it, makes them whole? Broken here is translated from the Hebrew word shavir. Listen to this. To break in pieces. To rend, that means to tear, to tear violently, to wreck, to quench, to rupture, to be maimed, be crippled, be wrecked, be crushed, be broken, be shattered. Be shattered. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, I believe that I believe that I'm walking around looking at a lot of people who are housing a shattered heart. I think they look like they've got it all together. But I think that there I'm dealing with, I think I'm walking around looking at people every day. I think I'm driving past them. I think I'm passing them in Walmart. I think I'm seeing them in my daily travels when I stop at McDonald's and get my coffee. That they're dealing with a shattered heart. Now, why do we not put as much, emphasis, as much emphasis on that as we do physical healing. It's because most people that have this struggle suffer silently. They suffer silently because we don't have time for their stuff when we're at church. we got too much other stuff going on to tend to the brokenhearted. But interestingly enough, it says that the Lord heals the brokenhearted. So that would tell me that this is important to him. Huh. So if it's important to him, shouldn't it be important to us? 
So what if those of us that are not struggling with this stepped outside of ourselves and said, hey, are you struggling with this? And if you are, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Is there something that I can do to help you? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you need, can I do anything to help? He heals the brokenhearted. Mm. Hearted here is translated, translated from the Hebrew word leave. This is an interesting word. The inner man, the mind, the will, the heart, the understanding, the determination, the inclination, the conscience, the seat of appetites, the seat of emotions, the seat of passions, the seat of courage. Have you ever known someone that has went through some form of devastating event and now all of a sudden their emotions are just everywhere. What about, what about they've lost their passion to do things? What about they've lost their determination to do something? Because you know what? There's something that happens when someone deals with a broken heart. And that's the loss of hope. See, I feel like I am called to preach and teach things that no one else will touch. But someone's got to do it. Because there's a lot of people out there that need help. That's not getting help. The med those in the medical industry don't take this the wrong way. But there's a lot of people having to run to medical doctors to get help that, because the church isn't helping them. The church should be the first line of defense. Not a, not a last-ditch effort. We should be the first line of defense when it comes to, to ministering to those that have been hurt. I don't care how well you preach. Do I see you weeping with those who are weeping? I don't care how smart you sound. I don't care what you drive. I don't care how much money you make. How are you walking with the broken? Because I see a lot of people doing a lot of things, and, they, and there's a lot of broken people that ain't being tended to. Why are those people not as important as others? Why are they swept under the rug? Why are they lost? Because, I mean, I see in Scripture right here that it's so important to the Lord that He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to do that. But, you know, oftentimes people that are suffering with a broken heart are made to feel like they need to just get over themselves. Or they need to just suck it up, go on with life. It's time to move on. Well, what about, you know, well, it's been a year. Well, to that person, it's been like 24 hours. See, am I, is any of this real? 
You know, well, you know, that happened two years ago. You know, it's time to start getting on with life. Well, you know, to me, it feels like it happened two days ago. So why don't you quit worrying about you and figure out a way to help me? You know, I'm sorry that what has happened to me and critically wounded me in my heart is an inconvenience to you. I'm so sorry. See that? Why don't we care for these people? We should care for these people. The Hebrew phrase here would be, Rafa Shavir leave. He heals the broken hearted. Listen to this. This is something the Holy Spirit gave me. This is translated, he heals the broken hearted. But if we examine the various definitions to these words, we could very easily rephrase this expression like this. The Lord is the one who takes those who come to him that have had their hearts broken, maimed, crippled, and even shattered. And not only can he heal them, but he can also make them whole. Like taking every single piece of broken glass of an expensive vase and putting it all back together with not one piece missing, he is able to even fashion new pieces to put back in place of those pieces that are gone. King David said it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Restore here would mean put back, in, put back right in an undamaged condition. While we do not allow our circumstances or emotions or feelings to rule us, it is perfectly okay to not be okay sometimes before your Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. We can come with cheerful courage and confident expectation that we will receive compassion, understanding, counsel, mercy, and grace to help us in our time of need. What if we heard more of that preached? Because you know, those who are struggling with a broken heart are important to the Lord. They may be made to feel unimportant. I, I'm going to be honest with you. It must be a night for statements. That's going to get me hate mail. But <laughs> I'm just going to say it anyways. It, it has been... So I came out of the world. I wasn't raised in church. My grandma Reed, I know you all have probably heard me talk about her, Betty Reed. She took me to church a handful of times when I was a boy. So I came out of the world, right? I ran around with people who used drugs and drank and did all kinds of stuff. And I made the mistake of thinking that when I was born again at 28 years old, that, um, that 
you know, I thought we were like all on one big team, right? Like I thought, you know, like the church was like, oh, hey, cool, man. We love you and we're here for you and everything else. But I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I would bet a thousand dollars that I could go to a local bar, go to the bar, order a beer, sit down, and begin to talk to people sitting around me about the things that I've been through and find substantially more compassion from those people there than I could to go to a church and talk to somebody and to talk to, I mean, 95 plus percent of Christian people that I know. And as a matter of fact, I could go to that bar down there and sit there and drink a couple beers with those people and share and they would talk and I would talk and they wouldn't be looking for any reason in the world to knock me, to get information against me and tear me down, blast me on Facebook. But now I tell you what, you better not, you better not be in ministry and have trouble because now bless God, everybody in the countryside is going to blast you. It's either behind behind closed doors, on social media, whatever else. They will burn you at the stake. People who are supposed to be born again, going to heaven, and then people be the first people try to kill you when you got trouble. It don't make no difference if it's your fault or not. It may not even be your fault. And then people are going to, they're going to burn you at the stake. That's fact. Now, should it be that way? No, it should not be that way. So we aim to be different. We aim to care for the broken, the brokenhearted. Come to the throne of grace with what's hurting you. Mm. I'm going to say two things here next. The Lord understands the brokenhearted because mankind has been breaking his heart since the fall of Adam and Eve. The Lord understands the brokenhearted so well because we have been breaking his heart since the fall of Adam and Eve. An untold number of people with an untold number of offenses. I told the Lord a week ago, I said, I don't have any idea how you do it. I have no idea, Lord, how you deal with all of this. I said, I have no idea. I said, Lord, with stuff I've been through, I said, I have no idea what that looks like to multiply that times trillions and then multiply that times an untold number. I don't know how you do it, Lord. I said, I don't know how you do it. But I'm telling you right now, if, you're, if he ever permitted your heart to be even slightly touched with what touches his heart, you would not. You'd run from sin. You'd spend less time talking about stuff with you and more time saying, Lord, I don't want anything from you. I just want you to know I love you. Lord, I don't even, I don't, I don't even want to ask anything of you. I just want to tell you how much I love you. Hmm. You know, the Lord has to deal 
you know, the Lord has to live with people's decisions. See, that's something you don't think about. See, some things, some revelation you've got to go through hell to get. But you know, he has to live with the decision of the one who chooses to go to hell instead of chooses to believe on him. Instead of choosing a righteous, holy, merciful God that paid the debt of the sin of the world so that that person could be with them forever, he has to physically watch them refuse him and walk straight into hell. How do you think that makes him feel? See, the Lord is not just merciful to the brokenhearted just because he's like, oh, hey, I hate that's happened to you. No, he's, he's lived this. He himself has lived this to a scale that is completely and totally unfathomable to us. It says he heals the brokenhearted. But thank God the scripture says that not only does he make whole those whose hearts are shattered, it also says that he binds up their wounds. So this Hebrew word binds means to bandage a wound. It's exactly what it means. And wounds here is pain, sorrow, injury, hurt. So not only is he interested in making whole your heart, he's also interested in bandaging up the wounds that have gone with what has critically wounded you. Mm. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Broken heart here is the same Hebrew phrase used in Psalm 147. And contrite means crushed. So think about this. Not only can you have a heart that is shattered, it says that your spirit can be crushed. Well, if you've ever received a critical wound to your heart, guess what? It makes your spirit feel like you don't even have the strength to get up off the bed or up off the floor. Your spirit feels like you have been crushed. Well, how is something crushed? An immense weight falls on top of it. So the Lord says, I, I, I'm the one who heals the brokenhearted. And I'm also the one who saves such a one who feels like they can't go on because their spirit is crushed. Put yourself in people's shoes. How would you like to experience what that person has experienced? See, some people have sympathy. That's the ability to see a situation and feel bad for someone. Ah, you know, Mandy, I really feel bad for you. Some people have empathy. Empathy is really the ability to experience to some extent the pain or the suffering or whatever else that someone is enduring. And some people have sympathy. And some people have empathy. And some people have neither. Don't care one way or the other. Don't care at all. Because they're too busy caring about themselves. 
People say, well, you know, how does the Lord tell you this stuff? Well, did you ever tell the Lord, hey, Lord, I want to help people? See, if you'll open your heart to help people, he'll say things through you to help people because he's in the people business because he cares for people. If he don't care, you don't care for people, he ain't got, he's really ain't got no use for you. I hate to say it that way, but I mean, if you're just focused on you, worried about you, now we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about someone being selfish and self-centered, not caring about other people, not someone that is overwhelmed with grief, dealing with the situation, so on and so forth. But, you know, what if we took those people and said, hey, what can I do to help? Can I do anything to help? I, I mean, I just want you to know, if, if, I just, even if it's just, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you or... You know, I've been thinking about you or, you know, I just want to check on you. See how you're doing. I mean, uh, you see what I mean? It's stepping out past you to see someone else. And then those, think about this. Who better to understand someone that has, that's dealing with a broken heart than someone who is also dealing with it? So see, sometimes experience should make us more compassionate toward those who are struggling. The world calls them support groups. My God, why don't the church have this? I, I mean, think about it. We're too busy. Too many other things going on. Don't have time for this. Don't have time for church. Don't have time. You, you don't have time. Too busy. Should there, should there have to be such things as emotional support groups online and, and there's no such thing in a church locally? Think about that. That's kind of disheartening to me. And why are these things not in church? You know why? Because they ain't nobody really trusts the people enough that they go to church with to tell them anything. Why? Because if they're going to get information on you, and they're going to go and they're going to rat you out, Jack. They're going to start talking about you. They're going to start texting people about you. You should have just heard what brother such and such just told me, or sister such and such, or blah, blah, blah. You know what you ought to do with people like that? You ought to drag them out right there in the parking lot, and just they're full of hell, and you ought to just whip the hell right out of them. It's going to be the night for <laughs> statement. But people like that are full of hell, and you're just dragging them right out there in the parking lot and just whip the hell right out of them. See, you ought not look for information on people to hurt people. That ain't Jesus. That's Antichrist. So if you're a Christian and you're acting that way, you're being Antichrist. You are an Antichrist when you're acting that way. You ought not gossip on people. You ought not tell stories on people. You, ought not, you don't know what people are going through. You see what I mean? Man, there's a lot of people struggling. A lot of people struggling. And those of us that aren't struggling ought to be looking for an opportunity to help someone that is. Because if we say that he's our Lord and he's interested in healing the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds and saving such those that are crushed in spirit, 
man, that sounds like that ought to be something that's on our list. But it doesn't stop there. Broken heart, <coughs> just defined usually as this. By the Oxford Dictionary, it's defined as used in reference to a state of extreme grief or sorrow, typically caused by the death of a loved one or the ending of a romantic relationship. The Free Dictionary defines it as suffering from great sorrow, grief, or disappointment. Overwhelmed by grief or disappointment. Webster's defines it as overcome by grief or despair. Well, what can cause the what can cause this? Have you ever thought about that? See, for us to be more compassionate to those around us, we ought to be able to identify some of these causes. Number one at the top of the list, and this is just the way the Holy Spirit gave them to me. <laughs> Number one, the loss of a loved one. I remember one time I was standing, it's been years ago, Abigail was a baby. I was standing in the house and that they had that, um, <coughs> they had, excuse me, they had that Bible TV series that they did with the History Channel. Anybody remember that? And I'll never forget, I was standing there watching the TV. And on the TV is Jesus and Matthew and the tax collector. And the tax collector is saying, he's calling Matthew. And the tax and the Pharisee, of course, is just, you know, oh, I can't believe, you, you know, what a, uh, just the regular rigmarole. And Jesus turns and he says, two men go to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You need to go watch this scene on YouTube. It's really good. But as he begins to pray, he said, the Pharisee goes to the altar and says, Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other... You've not made me like other people. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not even such as this tax collector. I offer... I give tithes of everything, and I fast two times a week and all this different stuff. And Jesus turns, he said, But the tax collector wouldn't even lift his head to heaven and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, as he's saying this, the camera shoots at Matthew's face, tears are streaming down his face, and Matthew is mouthing the words that Jesus is speaking, giving it the impression that Jesus is saying what Matthew said when he was at the altar. Now, is that biblical? No. But is it probable? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? And in that, the Holy Spirit asked me this question. Why did Jesus weep? Why did he weep? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever been given the answer to that question? Why did Jesus weep? Did Jesus not know? Did Jesus have a temporary breakdown in his mental capacity and forget that he's the son of God? Did he not know that he was going to go and eventually that, he, that he, it was in his authority to raise Lazarus from the dead? Did he know this? Sure he did. So why did he weep? What's there, if, if, if he's the answer to the problem and the problem's going to be solved, why did he weep? 
because Lazarus is one of the only people that the Gospels tell us that Jesus loved. We understand that he loved everybody in a broad spectrum sense, but there was a special relationship with him and Lazarus. Because it says Jesus loved him. The Holy Spirit said this to me years ago, probably 10 years ago now. He said, there is nothing that will knock someone out of a position of faith faster than the unexpected loss of a loved one. There's nothing that can potentially knock someone out of a position of faith faster than the unexpected loss of a loved one. And for Jesus to be able to be a faithful and merciful high priest, to be that person that comes beside someone and say, that's dealing with this and says, hey, he gets right down there with you and says, hey, I understand what you're going through because I went through this too. He had to be touched by that and which could knock someone out of a position of faith faster than anything in the world. He had to be touched by it himself in a personal manner for him to understand how it could affect us. That is why Jesus wept. That's why. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the people crying, when he heard them saying, Lord, if you had been here. And he wept. He had to be touched by that very same thing. If you'd been here, Lord. If you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. He had to physically, emotionally, mentally feel what that experience was like because he had never felt it. He'd never felt it. He had never experienced it. God had never experienced it. And he had to experience it so that he could be the high priest, the merciful high priest, to you that when he's sitting at the throne of God, the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for those that are struggling with these very same things. See, you do not have a high priest who has not been sympatheo, that cannot sympatheo, cannot sympathize, is not touched, moved with compassion to the very core of who he is. He is with what touches us. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? The loss of a marriage or romantic relationship. Number two, the loss of a dream or something very important that someone had hoped for. Bad relationships with children or parents. So you don't think about this. The loss of a friendship. 
the loss of a job or a career. There are three aspects of heartbreak. The person that is living with the broken heart has to deal with what was, what is, and what will never be. And if you can live through the first two, the adversary will do his absolute best to kill you with the third one. the first Christmas after the divorce first birthday and they're not here should have been their first prom me and dad we're going to do this I was going to do this with grandma I should have did this while they were here. This would be their fourth birthday. See that? If you live with through what was, and that's the remembering of what you loved, if you live through what is, what you're having to deal with in the moment. If you get through that, the third one's the hardest. This is what no one tells you. Because see, when you look back, you have something to grasp at. You have memories, you have conversations, you have feelings, you have emotions. You have... When you deal with what is, you're just having to deal with what's in the moment. That's when you have time to sit there and think, we were supposed to do this. This was supposed to happen. I was planning on this. See, it's what will never be. That's the hardest thing to live through. So if you make it through the first two, then you will. You will stare, stare down the barrel of number three. And that's the barrel that you keep coming back to. Because you can look back. think of good times. Anger can carry you through what is. But when you sit down we were going to build a barn this summer. Buy a few horses. See, it's what will never be that keeps the person 
in the state of brokenhearted. It's the what will never be that keeps that person feeling like they're crushed in spirit. Some things you got to live through hell to get that revelation. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, you're going to see Jesus preach the first message that Luke records after him being filled with the Spirit and overcoming the temptation in the wilderness and returning to Jerusalem in the power of the Spirit. If you'll get a hold of this, what we're going to talk about right here, if you'll get a hold of this, this will change your life. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and of recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What you don't know about this scripture is that this is a list of order of importance to your Father in heaven. So number one on his list is to preach the gospel to the poor, the proclamation of the good news to those who do not have it, not only just for salvation, healing, deliverance, protection, provision, preservation. Number two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Number four, recovery of sight to the blind. Number five, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Number six, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So you see here the six primary functions of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, in this point in the message, you know what part we're going to zero in and talk about here. I find it intriguing that he says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, a commonly overlooked personality in the triune Godhead is God the Father. 
So I read to you in Psalms where the Lord heals the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Well, that's referring to the Lord Jesus. But the Lord says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So think about it like this. The he See, we're so Jesus-obsessed that we forget that there's a God the Father and a God the Holy Spirit. And that's not pleasing to Him. I'm going to tell you that much right now. That does not please Him at all. That the church is so Jesus-possessed that, that we do not focus on God the Father or the Holy Spirit. But you just saw the Lord testify right here in Luke 4 that He says He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that this is a top priority for your Father in Heaven. Matter of fact, it's number two on His list. Pass the proclamation of the Gospel. Why? How do you think... How do you think... God's heart felt spending all that, all those years up to the time of His Son coming, knowing what was going to happen. Knowing that His Son would die. I, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about to be spiritually, that His only begotten Son would be, have to be spiritually severed from Him so that you could be rescued that I could be ransomed. How do you think his heart felt? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Heal here is the Greek word eomai. This word is defined as to cure, to heal, to free from errors and sins, to bring about one's salvation, to make whole. To make whole. Isn't that interesting? Would you find it even more interesting to come to find out that eaomai is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word rapha? In the Septuagint, in Isaiah 53 and 5, where it says, He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. It would say, he, the, the Septuagint would say it as, He was we were eaomai. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were eaomai. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Made whole. Huh. Broken hearted here, it's a compound word. If you looked at this in the Greek New Testament, you would see it phrased as this, suntrebo cardia. Suntrebo means to crush, means to tear down, means to have shivers of something, like a sliver, or to break in pieces. Hearted. It's the Greek word cardia, and it's the seat or center of feelings, emotions, desires, and appetites. The Lord Jesus was sent by God the Father to make whole 
the heart of those that have been beaten, abused, crushed, and even shattered. And as a matter of fact, it's number two on his list of importance. What if you believe that your Father in Heaven really cared for you like that? What if you believe that the Lord Jesus really cared for you like that? What if you really believed that no matter what it is that has critically wounded you in your heart, He wants to heal that and make you whole? Not just leave you limping, but He wants to make you whole. 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to read you two different translations of verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. The Amplified Classic says it like this, Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, your, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time He may exalt you, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on Him, for He cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Think about that. He cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to make whole the heart of those that has been shattered. Hmm. Look at Matthew 11. I, wa I wasn't necessarily planning on going here, but I kind of figured the Holy Spirit was going to take us this way earlier because I got a witness in my spirit about it. Matthew 11. I want you to look at verses 28 through 30. And I'm going to read you two different translations here. New King James Version says it like this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, interestingly enough, the NIV says it like this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Weary here, come on, work with me here. Sorry. I'm going to have to switch back to the New King James to grab that. Hang on just a second. So, switching back to the New King James, come to me, all you who labor. Labor here, a very, very poor English word for what this word means. This is a Greek word, kapao. To grow weary, tired, and exhausted with toil, burdens, or grief. Well, that gives, a new, that gives a new spin on that word, doesn't it? 
to grow weary, tired, and exhausted with toil or burdens or grief. He says, come. Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary, tired, and exhausted from toil and burdens and grief. And you and, and all of you that are heavy laden, frutizo, to have a heavy burden placed upon, to load someone down with a burden. And I will give you rest. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You may have had someone or some situation. Well, let me say it like this and then I'll rephrase it because I'm going to give it to you exactly the way that the Holy Spirit gave it to me. You may have loved someone like you've never loved anyone else and they may have hurt you worse than anyone has ever hurt you, but the Lord Jesus can heal you like no one can heal you. My friend Damien Tibbs said this the other day in a conversation and it was beautiful so I wrote it down and ripped him off. I'll give him credit for it in about 10 years. Faith looking backwards causes one's soul to become downcast. And so you think that looking at what will never be is actually look, was looking forward but it's not. You're actually looking backwards. You're actually looking backward on a plan that you had from a position trying to make plans for the future. He said, faith looking forward must have a blank canvas to paint on in hope. And that good? Let me read that to you again. Faith, faith looking backwards causes the soul to become downcast. Faith looking forward must have a blank canvas to paint on in hope. So I think a lot of people are struggling with this. I think that this is something that a lot of people are struggling with in varying degrees. Because, you know, there's varying degrees of this. But the Lord wants to heal you. And not only heal you, but He wants to make you whole. Now, don't mistake me. For those of us that have lost loved ones that are, those, we're not saying that those people can be replaced. That's not in any way what's being said. Because there is no replacing a, loss, a loved one that's been lost. There is no replacing that. But you know, the Lord can give you a new hope. Right? And I know that I know that in the midst of situations like this, when you feel like you're critically wounded in the heart, that it seems almost impossible to let, your, to let yourself think forward like that. But, you know, interestingly enough, man, the Lord's so cool. Because, you know, interestingly enough, the Lord said this to me, paraphrased it to me in this way. 
A lot of people are not receiving healing in their heart because they won't let him. Because every time he tries to talk to them about the situation, they pull back. Like a child that has been wounded or a child that has an injury, and you say, let me see it, and the kid goes, no. Pulls it in, right? But the thing about it is, you know, for the Lord to heal that, you've got to let him touch it. And sometimes, sometimes healing doesn't look like healing because it hurts. I mean, it just doesn't. My leg hurt a lot worse after they put the rod in it than it did when it was broken. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I said, I don't think y'all did something right here. Because my leg didn't, I mean, my leg, I felt like I could have cut it off at the knee and been better, and then y'all did this, and I don't feel healed. I was like, what did y'all do to me? You have to let the Lord in those areas. Because if you don't, by default, you're letting the devil in. And he's using that to pin people down and hold people down and use that because the devil don't want you to have help. The devil wants to beat you to your knees and keep you there and make you miserable for as long as he can before you die. But the Lord cannot heal what you do not let him have. And that's true. He cannot heal what you do not let him have. And so you know what? What's that look like? Well, I was in the bathroom 12 times today bawling my eyes out. Okay? Okay. That's okay. Maybe tomorrow it will only be 11. It may be 13 two days from now. And it may only be 9 three days from now. You don't need more faith to get over this. You just need to have enough faith to get you to the feet of the one that can help you. Right? Because oftentimes we think we got to pull it together. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do all this stuff. But the truth of the matter is the dad in Mark 9 had enough faith to get him and his son to the feet of Jesus. And he cried out and he said, Lord, if you can do anything to help us, have compassion upon us and help us. And the Lord said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And don't let these people fool you with these stupid little memes and stuff on Facebook. You know, fear and faith can't coexist. No, he, no you, it was proved in Mark chapter 9 that fear and faith can coexist. As a matter of fact, the Lord said to me, he said most people miss out on their miracle because they won't admit the fact that they're dealing with some unbelief. But the, that man said, it said a man cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, that would sound like a double negative, wouldn't it? No, the man had enough faith to get him to Jesus. He just didn't have enough faith to do anything past that. But praise God, if you've got enough faith to get you to the feet of Jesus, you've got enough faith to get yourself to the, to the one who can answer the problem, who can solve the problem. We just need enough faith to get to him. Some people are trying to have enough faith to be Jesus. 
I'm going to say that again. Some people trying to have enough faith that they act like they Jesus. No, some, we need to understand. And sometimes, you know what? We need to grab our brother or sister that's struggling and say, you know what? You may not even have, I'm going to get you to the feet of Jesus. You feel like you ain't got enough faith to get you there? I'm going to get you there. I'm going to tear the roof off this place and I'm going to get you to Jesus. Because if I can get you to him, he can help us. You see what I mean? Did anybody get anything out of that? I pray this message strengthened, blessed, and encouraged you. You can find Word of Life Ministries on YouTube and Facebook. Just look for the guy with the cowboy hat on.